Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday and welcome to HR Work Break. Today, I'm joined by James Micklethwaite, Vice President of Kahoot at Work. Kahoot at Work is a game-based learning platform that brings interactive and fun training, presentations, and events to the workplace. James, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Maddie. Great to be with you. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, of course. So the first thing I kind of wanted to ask you was how can leaders reshape learning and development programs to be more engaging for their workers? The key here, from my perspective, is about interactivity. So what we find in all of the research that um, we commission that I've seen and when I talk to our customers at Kahoot is that the real problem starts and ends when a learning experience is not interactive. It's one way. There's a lot of content involved. The learners essentially don't participate as much as they should. And what we also see, and we can maybe come on to this later, is that as soon as you take that kind of experience online and out of an in-person experience, then the engagement problem becomes even more acute as well. So I think involvement, interactivity is one form of that, and technology is one way to get that. But it's all about involvement of the uh, the learner or the audience that makes a difference. Yeah. And you mentioned when it moves online, you lose that involvement. Do you have any advice for how to make it more engaging when you're forced into like a hybrid or remote role or how to bring the human element into that sort of online learning opportunity? In a nutshell, it's all about mixing it up. We all understand the content exists there for a reason. There's a need sometimes to share information. And so content has a place in every learning experience, of course, but it's all about mixing it up. One thing that we talk about, a concept that we talk about is actually interactive presentations. So It's quite simply just mixing together a combination of a classic slide. In this case, let's take an example. You're doing some instructor-led training and perhaps it's virtual, it's online. You should mix up some slides with quiz questions, for example. Uh, And quiz questions are great because not only do they reinforce the key points that you want your audience to actually take away, but they also give you as an instructor real-time feedback on whether what you've just been through has actually landed with your audience. And if it hasn't, You can go back, you can revisit, you can explain the concept in a different way. So it's a very powerful combination of engagement because actually it's motivating in a quiz to know whether you've got something right or wrong and potentially how you compare against other people in this classroom at the same time. So it's motivating for the learner. It gives feedback to the learner as well, individual personalized feedback, but then also to the instructor at the same time. It gives them feedback about this group overall and how are we doing against the concepts that I'm trying to teach here or instruct on. Are we on message and do we need to correct our course? So it's a very powerful, I think, way of mixing up slides, quiz questions. And then what we also can do in various online tools, including uh, Kahoot, also enable uh, discussion questions. So there doesn't always have to be a right answer. And I think that is the key. The more I think about instructor-led training, the more I dream that kind of experience is much more focused on what it's meant for, which is human interaction, to your point, the human side of things. So why don't we get the views of the room and discuss that? Why don't we share the experiences of the room? So often the instructor will have some knowledge that other people in a training setting don't have, but everyone in the room has their own experiences as well. 
This is, of course, not uncommon for instructor-led training, but I think uh, when you go online, it becomes much harder to facilitate those kind of conversations that come more naturally in person. And there can be a real role for technology in that way, because it's very easy to very equitably collect, share, present on a screen those experiences and then facilitate discussions around ideas. That's what an interactive presentation is. Uh, that's what we believe uh, works really well in those in that combination. It's mixing it up, a combination of slides, quiz questions and discussion questions uh, like polls and open ended questions and brainstorms. And you just constantly keep changing between those things. And sometimes when I talk to our customers, they're able to have really engaging learning experiences that can last hours all virtually over tools like Zoom or Microsoft Teams because they adopt this method. It never feels too staid and too constant because too many slides, you have an attention span problem and people multitask. Right. And just kind of speaking of diverse materials, we're also in a very diverse workplace. Just looking at like age demographics alone, we've got baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Z, and millennials. And Kahoot recently found that only 14% of all generations actively pay attention during online training, and 44% of Gen Z gets checked out during these sessions. So do you have to take different approaches for different generations? That's a great question. I think honestly, and there's quite a bit of debate, I'm sure you've seen it as well, about you know, these slightly arbitrary cohorts of age groups. You know, are they really meaningful? I think they're useful for sure. And that's why we track and we do research against them. But I think what's really going on here is there are some themes actually that apply to everyone, but those themes are more marked amongst certain demographics. So it's not a question I think of night and day, say, you know, Gen X don't at all relate to some of these issues. It's just that um, Gen Z, for example, it's much more acute. And that's what our data showed. So I think my one bit of advice on that area is, of course, it depends what type of uh, instruction you're doing, if it's training you're doing or a presentation, for example. If it's an individual learning experience, you can be far more personalized and actually adjust the learning experience for a younger, for example, cohort. But if you are doing classroom based uh, all at the same time and you've got uh, different demographics within that group, then how do you account for that? And I think my single bit of advice would be to aim young. And the reason for that is because what our research tends to show, and this is actually my experience with our customers as well, is that often older demographics, they may even not think that they relate to these sort of slightly more novel approaches to training using game-based learning, for example, but actually when they try them, they really enjoy them, provided that the user interface is simple and accessible, and that's not always the case. But provided the user experience is accessible and easy to use, if you aim low and try something that's a little bit more innovative, actually, we find that all demographics tend to respond to it very well. So I think if you have to take a one size fits all approach, that would be my advice. Aim low in terms of your demographics and it'll work out very nicely. That's solid advice. It makes me think about um, what you said earlier about bringing discussion questions into like, even though everyone might have different views and different experiences, there's all going to be at the very end of the day, like one universal, you're a working person and you're in the company kind of a concept. Yeah. And we're all humans, ultimately, you know, uh, our research, for example, showed when we were trying to get to the bottom of these engagement problems, we asked, you know, what would make a difference? And it was one of the questions we asked was, you know, a bit of friendly competition, for example, around the quiz, providing that motivation. Gen Z came out way highest with 60% saying they'd really highly value friendly competition. But again, it wasn't like the other, uh, other demographics were completely nowhere. It wasn't zero. It was just less strong. So I think these techniques that you can use, like friendly competition being one thing, actually involving your audience in discussions. Again, Gen Z came out very high on that one as well. Also, I think 
what we've seen is a real kind of consumerization of all aspects of our life. So the expectation, the experiences we have, the digital experiences we have, they are very high quality, often sometimes feel almost social media like. That, again, is another sort of trend I think it applies. And Gen Z, again, they have a huge expectation for that. They expect rich, beautiful video, even in corporate learning, for example, and they expect bite-sized learning rather than sort of longer learning experiences because the attention span. But again, this is something that those of us that are older, and I'm in that category, a little bit older than that, I can also relate to that, just maybe I don't feel it quite as acute as Gen Z. Definitely. And you had mentioned earlier the importance of um, user interface on technology. So for companies that haven't updated their technology or they're just finding that their employees are having trouble navigating it, do you have any advice on how to mitigate the struggles of technology and the goals of your learning and development? Yes. I think probably the bit of advice I would give is just to experiment and try things. And I know this is a bit glib, it's a bit of a truism, but I think there are a lot of tools out there. So for example, if you have a a sort of incumbent system, I know how difficult it is to sort of get to a decision of changing it and actually changing it. But there are a number of tools out there that you can use kind of on the side, if you like, and just try them out, see if they work, try them for yourself, seeing is believing. And this is, I think, you can take advantage of this consumerism trend and that will really de-risk things because you can run a small pilot program, just see how it works. And then if you get fantastic feedback, which you can then demonstrate to stakeholders, that can then start a bigger conversation about, hey, okay, now we both know what good looks like because we've actually tried it and validated it with employees and with stakeholders. And uh, now we can start this journey, a slightly bigger journey from potentially migrating from what we consider a core system to something else. So um, start small, I think that would be my advice and test. And within that kind of L&D space, in addition to like gamification being a general trend, have you noticed any other popular initiatives within there? Within L&D, I think gamification is certainly uh, one thing, as you said. Other trends, I think, that we're seeing out there, I already mentioned or alluded to one of them. The biggest one, I think, that's most important and potentially is going to be accelerated with all of the excitement around ChatGPT and AI is this notion of of learning in the flow of work, which I'm not sure if you're aware of, but just so that we're all talking the same language, I'm sure most listeners are as well. But essentially, this idea that what a really valuable learning experience is is one where you can have knowledge at your fingertips and you can apply it quite quickly in your role. That's not for all types of learning, but for much of the learning that happens today, that's the kind of optimal experience, I think. And so we're definitely seeing that sort of picking up and accelerating at the moment. And so we, for one, and many other uh, other providers in the market as well, are always introducing new content formats that enable they're always mobile first, for example, coming back to the user interface, But also back to what I said before about sort of long loads of slides or lots of content, very focused on bite-sized content. You're very snackable, a bit like social media, so that you can consume learning content and have learning experiences in the flow of work. That's probably the other big trend that I want to emphasize right now that I think is going to become more important. And it becomes more important with AI, I think, because you can see a world where these uh, chat conversational interfaces really take off and become embedded. I think we're still very early days yet. And I think lots of people are experimenting with these. But the idea that a learning experience doesn't have to be something you simply read and consume, and then it's finished, and then hopefully you apply it, but actually, potentially, you interrogate it with questions when you need to interrogate it with questions. Uh, So it's much more sort of pool based. 
I think is extremely interesting. And I think that could really change things. So learning in the flow of work and gamification, I think they're two big ones to watch. Yeah. And with that kind of conversation around AI and this increased speed and accessibility of learning opportunities, you'd mentioned earlier about how question check-ins can really help with ensuring that your user base understands. Do you have any other tips on how to um, ensure that retention of learned information is there? Yeah, I think um, you're almost asking a question about sort of how do you measure success of learning, which is a great question, right? That's definitely a better way to ask it. Yeah. How do you measure the success of a learning and development program then? It's exactly that question. And I think it is helpful. There are frameworks out there like Bloom's Taxonomy and that sort of thing that are quite helpful, I think, as a way to think about it. So I do think that measuring time and consumption is both easy, but also a little bit kind of deceptive because it doesn't really mean anything. So what we've covered already about checking, knowledge checking and using quizzes to assess understanding of information, that's definitely a step forward. But I think what we're very passionate about at Kahoot is actually creating learning experiences that change behavior. And that's one of the reasons I think why we think that engagement is important. It's not about engagement for engagement's sake, because the engagement, of course, people need to be engaged before they'll even turn up to a training session. So that's important. But within a training session, I think you've really got no hope of affecting a behavioral change unless there's that engagement there. Then the question becomes sort of how do you measure behavioral change? And I think there can be some interesting things done there around observed behavioral changes, for example. So I think that is very powerful. So if somebody completes a learning experience, You can ask them, but also perhaps more interestingly or and more interestingly, you can also ask their peers or their managers to observe, to report back on observed behavioral change since the training program. So I definitely think that is a level way above simply measuring time and completion. And perhaps I think for me, the holy grail of measuring the success of a learning experience is to really be data driven. We actually heard from one of our customers just the other day about how they're doing exactly this. When you start combining data sets from tools like Kahoot, so assessment of understanding of information with business outcomes. So, for example, sales teams and sales metrics or customer success teams and CSAT metrics, then I think you're getting really close to the ultimate goal of any learning and development program. This is hard and it takes time. And actually, if your listeners, uh, um, they may not be aware of it, but there's an excellent article in Harvard Business Review in, I think it was March or April of this year. And it covered a study that KPMG completed. And because they're consultants, they're curious about exactly this sort of thing. They implemented game-based learning inside their organization for their consultants. And they did exactly this. They tracked the data of people who'd completed game-based learning versus those who hadn't. I actually think I read that one earlier. Yeah, it was a really interesting study. I thought it was super interesting and it showed, you know, that game-based learning, and of course I read it, I'm very interested in this area. It did show that game-based learning had a positive impact on business metrics. It showed also that employee engagement, of course, has an impact as well, but that game-based learning did too. But I loved the way that they were sort of restlessly looking for the connection between learning outcomes and actual business outcomes. I think that's a really good example of best practice. And we love to work with uh, our customers on that, at combining data sets and looking for that sort of insight as well. Yeah, that's such an interesting angle because HR is such a space where like you need the metrics to prove that you have a return on investment for things like learning and development. And to just kind of see like the marriage of two different factors to see how they affect each other and correlate is just such an interesting way to really um, put your money where your mouth is kind of. Exactly, exactly. And of course, you know, some areas of, of training are much easier than others. 
for example, the two examples I gave, sales teams and customer care teams, there's a very obvious sort of read across with things like product knowledge. If you know the product, it's quite easy to draw the line there between that and business performance. It's, of course, much harder to sort of measure, say, leadership, for example, in the same way. It's much more complicated and nuanced than that. But I think certainly there are some areas where you can really zoom in and be extremely data driven, actually, and get some quite powerful insights. One thing the study did say, though, of course, is that you have to be patient. Uh, and I found that interesting as well. That's absolutely true. It's sort of, you know, two to three quarters later is the sort of effect of that particular study, the KPMG study. So, yeah, it's something you need to invest time in, but it's well worth it, I think, when you can find uh, and really show the results of learning having an effect. Definitely. And at the very least, at the end of the day, investing in your employees is the first step to overall investment in your company because that's who you're made up of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So since this episode airs on a Friday, my favorite way to close out is to ask you what you're looking forward to this weekend. Great. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's Friday and uh, I'm on the other side of the world. So it's very near my end of week. This week, fairly quiet week for me. I'm based actually in Oslo in Norway. So the snow is finally gone. So I won't be skiing this weekend as I normally do. Instead, planning to uh, uh, take a bike ride with the family actually uh, in the forest and then uh, potentially go with as an amusement park as well, just outside Oslo. So going with the family and some friends to that as well later on the weekend. So looking forward to it. That sounds like such a good weekend. We're supposed to get rain here in the Northeast. So I am not looking forward to Saturday. I'll still be outside though. So just rain jacketed up. (laughs) (laughs) Stay inside and uh, keep covered up. Yeah, exactly. But I hope you have a really good weekend with your family. And James, thank you again for having this great conversation with me. Thanks for having me, Maddie. It was great to talk. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.